Most Christians are what I call Old Testament Christians. I was one, and I loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and strength, but I didn't love him with my mind. And it's impossible to really love Jesus until you begin to love him with your mind. And unless you read the Gospels, you will never learn who Jesus really is. Welcome to the Catholic Theology Show, sponsored by Ave Maria University. I'm your host, Michael Dauphiné, and today I am thrilled to be joined by uh, Mike Timmis, who is the author of The Journey to Ultimate Friendship, recently published by Word Among Us Press. So welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here, Michael. Great. So happy to have you here, and uh, people may uh, find it of interest uh, that Michael uh, Timmis uh, received an honorary doctorate uh, from Ave Maria University in 2008. I actually still remember your address uh, sitting there, and I remember you were challenging uh, the graduates to embrace duty as kind of freedom, right? That, that, uh, and, and that there was a great, we, we shouldn't run from duty, right. uh, but in a way should right, embrace it as right, a path to real kind of finding, discovering meaning, and, and purpose. And uh, I just loved the fact that you took so seriously uh, that task and, uh, you know, of, of trying to kind of awaken in students this recovery of meaning and purpose. Well, it's always a great honor to talk to young people. And I, I just love it when I can express some of the knowledge that I've learned through the years. Well, we're certainly looking forward to that today. And, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, Michael uh, Timmis has uh, just a Tremendous background in the business world and in the legal world. Uh, one of the things that's kind of, uh, I think, probably particularly unique is uh, that you spent 16 years as chairman of Prison Fellowship International. You know, and 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 your book is about friendship, ultimately the friendship with Jesus Christ, uh, and also our friendships, right, with family, our friendships with fellow workers uh, in the apostolates, friendships. Uh, with so many others. Uh, so uh, maybe could you just, you know, say a little bit about, your, you know, your work? And I think prison fellowship is something maybe that people, I think a lot of people maybe aren't very familiar with, uh, but maybe a little bit about how did you, you know, get interested in that work? And maybe, you know, one story about how did you bring kind of friendship to maybe a place in which people were particularly cut off from friendship? Well, it's interesting because uh, I had no idea of wanting to be involved in prison work. Uh, Nancy, my wife, and I were doing a tremendous amount of work with the poor in Honduras, Nicaragua, and uh, Peru. Our son, Michael, had just moved to Africa, and yes. Chuck Coson, the founder of Prison Fellowship, came to me, and we had lunch, the four of us, uh, his wife, my wife, and Chuck, myself, and he said, Mike, what's God's call in your life? And I said, this is in 1990. And I mm -hmm. said, the poor. And he said, well, who do you think are the poorest of the poor? And I said, Chuck, I've seen so many poor people. I don't know who's the poorest. <laughs> and he said, I submit this prisoner because they've not only are they poor, they've lost everything, including their identity and, uh, and dignity. And that still didn't move me until he said, Mike, you're a Roman Catholic. I'm a Southern Baptist. He says, unless we stand together, there's no hope. Come join the board and we will stand as brothers to the world, as uh, brothers in Jesus Christ. That appealed to me because I was speaking a lot of unity. And so uh, in 1990, I joined Prison Fellowship US. Mm -hmm. And it was seven years later that Chuck called me from Paris and said that he was stepping down as chairman of Prison Fellowship International. Would I take his place? And at that time, I was traveling around the world, uh, meeting with leaders as an emissary from Congress, from certain believers in Congress. They would yeah. give me entree into, uh, into meeting presidents, prime ministers, and what have you. So I had cut my teeth sort of on evangelism and with the, uh, the greatest, and now I was going to go with the least, last, and lost. Wow. Wow. That's... Um that's quite a gift. I remember in your book here, I think you tell a story um, about, I don't remember where it was. It was, it was a particular prison that you spoke at and you, you had a very unique way of trying to help them to encounter Jesus Christ, maybe as a, 
fellow. <laughs> well, I think tough. you're you're talking about an encounter I had in El Salvador, which has um, been a very troubled country for many many years, and uh, with over small popula- population of about four million plus people and a gangs of over fifty thousand, and I was in a prison uh, of one of the roughest gangs in the world, MS-13. And every single prisoner in that prison was a member of that gang. They had uh, 13 written in cursive on their arms, 13s on their cheeks, their heads shaved. They were all branded with 13. And the uh, the uh, head of the penal system in, in El Salvador had set up a dais and everybody came in in suits, and all these men are sitting there, uh, sort of like I am right now, with my arms crossed, looking at the ceiling, and I knew there was no way. They didn't want to be there, and there was no way they were going to hear what I wanted to say. So I took off my coat, rolled up my sleeves, and got off the dais, much to the consternation of of the uh, officials who were there. And I walked down a middle aisle of these men, there was about 800 men, and I didn't say a word. I walked down, I walked back, I walked down, I walked back, and then finally um, I turned to them and I said, I've heard about you guys and you look very tough, but I've been in prisons on every continent, so I've seen a lot of tough people. Uh, But none of you are as tough as the toughest man I ever met. This man was so tough, he died for me. And I don't think any of you would have the courage to die for me. And like you, he was he was beaten, he was thrown into prison, he was deserted. But he did that all for me. And you've heard his name, but you don't know anything about him. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about this man. His name is Jesus. So that wow. was uh, a breakthrough. Mm-hmm. And they never moved when all the time I mm-hmm. spoke for about 25, 30 minutes. And at the end of it, and I didn't know, you know, I was just, it was just the Holy Spirit speaking through me. Mm-hmm. I had honestly mm-hmm. had not planned, I never had done it before, I never mm-hmm. probably will do it again. And um, all of a sudden when I finished, uh, about 35 guys jumped up and came to around me and started hugging me, crying. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, was, I was so, I felt so terrible, except for the fact that I remember what Mother Teresa said that, you know, we're not called to results, we're called to uh, be faithful and mm-hmm. that somebody would follow up. And those men who had come forward, um, um, they heard the truth and God had planted a seed in their hearts. So we'll, you know, whatever, I won't find out till I go to heaven what mm-hmm. happened, but um, mm-hmm. I, I just let the Holy Spirit lead me. Well, that's uh, such a beautiful and, you know, really just kind of overwhelming story. I remember you when know, I was reading it, just, you know, having, I think in some ways I will say reading your book, one of the things I found is that it's just kind of inspiring. It kind of like made me want to go out and be better friends with Jesus, help other people get to know Jesus and take my own friendships more seriously. And, and I love just the way you kind of tell these stories. And I think it's also helpful just for us to step back for a moment. It's kind of easy for us to think, oh, it's hard to be a prisoner because that seems scary and we can understand it. But what we don't quite realize is that often in modern society, we somehow live within some kind of, uh, I don't know, some kind of like walls of separation, walls of loneliness. Uh, Mother Teresa would speak about a kind of poverty she saw in the United States that was worse than around the world. And since we're in it, you know, we're in the picture, we can't see it. Uh, we don't even know that the water's boiling because right, we've been the frog being in the water. And I just looked at a couple studies, uh, but the British, uh, the BBC, you know, in, in England or in the UK in 2015 did a loneliness experiment. They surveyed over, I think, 55,000 people around the world. And they found out that, interestingly, the most lonely people were 16 to 25 year olds. 40% were lonely at a time in a way that typically you would imagine as a time of you know, gregariousness and connection and easy making friends. But for whatever reason, in our contemporary world, young people are the loneliest group. Even the older, I think it was like, I don't know if it was 70 and older or 75 and older, only 27% of them are lonely. Um, so we have this kind of phenomenon of loneliness. There was another study by the American Enterprise Institute in 2021 called the State of American Friendship. Uh, And 
Two things that it really noticed was just how much as a whole from 1990 to 2021, 30 years, uh, you had this decline of friendship. Uh, and let me just get the numbers here because I think they're kind of interesting. Said in 1990, 55% of American men reported having at least six close friends. Today, only 27. Half of men have six or more. In 1990, today, it's one in four. The survey found that 15% of men have no close friendships at all. In 1990, it was 3%, uh, so a five-fold increase. There seems to be overall a, a decline, a friendship recession, and it seems to be exaggerated in men. There's uh, no question. Men have been yeah. emasculated over the last 30-plus years, and this has led to uh, um, an increased rate of suicide. Yeah. And UCLA did a very similar study with men. They were sponsored by one of the major insurance companies, and they found the exact same thing, that the loneliest group uh, of Americans are 15 to 25, and yeah. consequently their suicide rate has, has gone up dramatically. Yeah. And, um, you know, in reality, if you don't understand friendship, there's no way you can have a relationship with Jesus. And uh, one of the things that I think our church, the Catholic Church, as well as other churches have not done, and that is really brought home to people the humanity of Jesus. Mm. And, you know, when a gospel is presented, it's presented out of context uh, each Sunday. And people don't understand that there is a a flow in the Gospels to right up to where we are today and about to uh, observe the crucifixion and then resurrection. And I have found that um, very few people understand the what Jesus is saying at the time he's saying it, what's his emotional state, who's he speaking to, uh, how does that affect me? Uh, these things that, that when I teach, I set the stage of here's where Jesus is. For example, going from Nicodemus to the woman at the well. You see Nicodemus, Jesus, very serious, very direct. And then in chapter 4, John, then, then going to the woman at the well and how he is so sort of disingenuous. He's just so kind and, and whimsical to this woman. Mm -hmm. And and it's important to understand that because that's the way we are. And that's the way mm -hmm. we are with friends is that we, we people know who we are by how we act and how we are, are we approachable. Um, mm -hmm. And that's one of the biggest things. And Jesus was always approachable. And yeah. that's one of the biggest things in friendship that, that I know is being approachable and yeah. not being critical. Yeah, so uh, about 100 years before uh, your book, there's a book called The Friendship of Christ by Robert Hugh Benson, uh, who is a, he was a author of Lord of the World, but he wrote this, and I just thought it was kind of interesting because it reminded me very much of, of themes of your book. Um, but he says at times, this is right at the beginning of The Friendship of Christ, and he writes this probably, I think this is written around like 1910 or so, um, uh, I can't remember, but around that time period, 1910, 1920, he says this, right, that the, oh, the blaze of divinity in Christ, to him who sees it, may be so bright as to bewilder him with regard to the humanity, right? Um, and he says, therefore, it says that, like, um, Catholics then, above all others, because they proclaim the divinity of Jesus, almost are prone to forget the delights that are to be with the sons of men, right? Uh, to remember in a way that Jesus is like, is, is human among us. He writes here, devout souls often complain of their loneliness on earth, right? They pray, they frequent the sacraments, they do their best to uphold the Christian precepts, right? They adore Christ as God, yet of the intimate knowledge of and companionship with him in the which the divine friendship consists, they have experienced little or nothing. And I thought it was so beautiful in a way that what Robbie Hugh Benson was doing 100 years ago, you're trying to really done throughout your uh, ministry and teaching. But in, in your book today, uh, could you say a little bit more about that sense that like even many Christians who might 
kind of believe in the creeds or believe that Jesus is the Son of God, believe that Jesus is divine, uh, have a hard time really believing and connecting with Jesus as human. Yeah, I think this, I think that most Christians, uh, and I don't think this is an overstatement, are what I call Old Testament Christians. I was one, and I loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and strength, mm -hmm. but I didn't love him with my mind, and it's mm -hmm. impossible to really love Jesus until you begin to love him with your mind. And unless you read the Gospels, uh, mm -hmm. you'll never learn who Jesus really is. Uh, Francis Fernandez, in his epic work, In Conversations with God, writes on the fourth Friday of Easter, he, he talks about uh, uh, being friends with Jesus through the Gospels. And he says, you can't love somebody you don't know. And I think that uh, as I look at my life, I was very devout in my life. There was never a time I went through a period of doubt through the grace of God. Uh, but uh, I was not thinking, talking, and acting like Jesus. Until one night I went to a dinner and a, a businessman, a guy who worked at Ford Motor Company, got up and gave a very short testimony how he had turned his life over to Jesus and given him everything. And it was a point in my life where I had succeeded to the uh, zenith of my career. And I was lonely and uh, I felt, you know, what was it? Why had, had I spent all those hours trying to do it? And it was a time when interest rates went up to 21%. And uh, I won't bore you with the, with the business story, but it was, we had, I have a partner and we had survived and we were doing extremely well. And I would go to communion each Sunday, and I would beg God to feel something because I felt I was moving away, not towards God. Mm -hmm. And he answered my prayer, and that changed everything. One night I gave him my marriage, my children, uh, my family, my career, my money. I gave him everything. And from that moment on, everything began to change in my life. But it wasn't until two years later when I met a man who uh, had become very evangelical and uh, had the cure for eternal cancer, and I wanted to give it to you. But he started teaching me about Jesus. And we, he would meet me in airports, his name was Doug Coe, and he taught me everything he knew about Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the scales fell from my eyes, and I realized it's Jesus plus nothing. Everything is Jesus. And so mm -hmm. if you want to know the Father, you have to love Jesus. If you want to feel the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to feel Jesus. You have to learn about him. And uh, he made me promise this. He said, I will teach you everything I know on one condition, that you promise me you'll never spend a day outside the Gospels reading a passage and thinking about what Jesus is doing. And mm -hmm. I made that promise about 37 or 38 years ago, and I've kept it every day from that day to this day. Wow, that is, uh, that's, that's really beautiful. I, uh, it reminds me of, you know, say that famous line in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, right, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. And so this is John 15, 15. But he says this, I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you, right? So this idea that Jesus makes his friends because he makes known to us through everything that he does and says and all that is recorded in the scriptures, right? He makes known to us, right? All, right, that the father <laughs> is, all that the father has like in a way we begin to learn how to have a deeper friendship through Jesus because we ultimately are beginning to see the friendship ultimately that the son has with the father. What, what happens with when you become friends with Jesus, it is like I've been married now for 60 years, going on 61. Wow, congratulations. And, um, I love my wife a thousand times more than when we got mm. married because we have live life together and the longer we've been together the more we become one in mm -hmm. spirit and it is uh, that's why god gave us the gift of marriage is so that we would understand what intimacy is and that intimacy and the intimacy i have with jesus it just correlates mm -hmm. and i was in africa uh just before covid and uh it was uh, we went to mass at a university and chapel in kampala uganda and the priest called us up, a priest gave a talk on marriage. And 
there was like eight or hundred or nine hundred kids in this. No, no, we were the only white people, mm-hmm. and we were sitting on the side. And he's coming down to give the final blessing, and he looks over at us and he says, "See those two old white people." He says, you can tell they're in love. He said, would you come up on the altar? And so my wife and I reluctantly went up on the altar, and he said, could you tell me how long have you been married? I said, "Uh, 58 years. He says, no, 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 how long have you been married? He thought I said, I was saying I was 58 years old. (laughs) And he 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 said, you've been married 58 years. And, of course, that's much longer than the average life expectancy Mm -hmm. in Uganda. And so... He said, the young people, can you hear? They have been married 58 years ago, all oohs and ahs. And it was wonderful. We came out, and we have a number of schools in East Africa uh, through our foundation. And, wow. and a number. It's another story. But uh, there was a bunch of kids. They were so thrilled we were there. And the priest said, can you give me one secret? I said, yeah, Father. I said, it's very simple. The more you love Jesus, the more you love your wife. And the more she loves Jesus, the more she loves her husband. And I said, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's yeah. the whole key mm-hmm. to a happy marriage. Yeah, that's uh, like Fulton Sheen has that beautiful book, right? Three to get married. Yeah. Right. right. You know, uh, the husband and wife uh, need to invite Jesus into their marriage. Now, maybe just for somebody who is, and, and, and I mean, obviously, this could be a whole podcast. This could be like, this, this could be a whole show forever. Right. But just what would you say to somebody who, you know, is hearing this? And perhaps has that sense of, you know, I wish I had a friendship with Jesus. They kind of see in themselves a little sense of like a lack of intimacy. And, you know, not not that they're not willing, but at least for them, nothing yet has. They haven't quite figured out how to do it. What would you suggest? Well, I've done this a a number of times. I've had exactly people say Mm -hmm. to me, am I going to go to hell or uh, um I, I say I'll, I will say. Do you know who you've been praying to? Because so often when we get dry mm-hmm. and feel no answer coming from God, we we have to realize we've probably been praying to ourselves, and that's mm-hmm. a very common thing to mm-hmm. have happen. It's happened to me. And I said, you know, all of a sudden I feel dry. Why? Because I've been praying to myself, not to God. And so I so I I tell typically I tell people open up the book of John and read it for twenty minutes. And then say, ask Jesus' question, are you real? Mm. Are you in my life? I want to be in your life. And God will answer your prayer. I've said that in prisons. I've said it mm-hmm. to people after I've spoken that they've come up. How can I become friends with Jesus? And I, I, I think that, you know, we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus. I think those words are ridiculous mm-hmm. because uh, I've been married 60 years. I've never said I have a personal relationship with my wife. I would say she's my best friend. Okay. And, and I think mm-hmm. when we think of relationship as friendship, it casts a whole different light mm-hmm. on because now you begin to understand we understand what the word friend means. We don't understand what the word personal means. Okay. And I think that that having friendship with Jesus is it's it's like getting married. It grows into a deeper and deeper and deeper uh, relationship of love, and you begin to feel the love of Jesus in a way you've never felt it before. Uh, that's so beautifully put. We're going to go ahead and uh, take a break, and uh, when we get back, I want to look at kind of two big themes, and we'll let you also. Love to hear a little bit more about even why you went ahead and uh, decided to write the book. But I definitely want to, one, I want to look at a couple teachings of the church on the theology of evangelization so that people understand in a way that to talk about evangelization uh, and right, this sharing the good news is not something other than, so to speak, being Catholic. It really is kind of at the heart of what the church teaches about herself. And then secondly, I really love kind of explore a little bit of it, that if we are in this friendship recession, especially among men, what are practical tips that we can look at right, in order to somehow right, foster friendships, build new friendships? Uh, again, what, what are ways that we can do that? So right after the break, I look forward to talking about those themes with you. listening to the Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University. If you'd like to support our mission, we invite you to prayerfully consider joining our Annunciation Circle, a monthly giving program aimed at supporting our staff, faculty, and Catholic faith formation. 
You can visit us at AveMaria.edu to learn more. Thank you for your continued support. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the Catholic Theology Show. Today, uh, I'm happy to have as our guest, uh, Michael Timmis, often goes by Mike, uh, Mike Timmis, who is the author of Journey to Ultimate Friendship. And we've been discussing, right, the importance of friendship with Jesus, discovering that friendship, sharing that friendship with others, and also the importance of friendships with, with other people and how essential this is to us. And so I wanted to begin uh, in the second part, first by looking a little bit at kind of this theology of evangelization, uh, that kind of evangelization is not something other than, right, the fundamental mission of the church. Uh, it's not kind of optional. And I just want to highlight a few teachings of the church over the past really 60 years uh, so we can really kind of make sure we hear and understand that this is properly theological reflection upon the nature of the mystery of God. Just it belongs to the nature of God that creation is fitting. God wishes to communicate himself to creation. The incarnation is also appropriate because God wishes to communicate himself more perfectly through his incarnate son. So it's appropriate that God sends his Holy Spirit because he wishes to communicate himself to us, to creation. And it's appropriate, right, that he communicates himself to us through his church, through the apostles, the bishops, scripture, the sacraments, through the creeds. All of these are modes of communication. And if it belongs to God as creator and as incarnate redeemer and as spirit and as the spirit who inspires the church to communicate, then it also belongs to the members of the church to communicate those same realities, right? And to invite people into that deeper communion. Right? Vatican II uh, said this in the document Agentes, right? It said, the whole church is missionary. Not just missionaries, the whole church is missionary. This means, right, each and every not just each and every Catholic, but each, each and every parish is missionary. Paul VI uh, wrote this, evangelization is the church's deepest identity. The deepest identity of the church is to evangelize, to announce the good news. The church is, Mother Teresa would often say, right, that she is, uh, that, that the missionaries of charity, this is not social work. They're, they're, right. they're, they're sharing the love of Jesus. The church's deepest identity is not to be a benefit to society. It's not to organize um, uh, Latin fish fries, or right? All these things are fun, they're great, right? But the church's deepest identity, in a way her identity is nothing other than to have been sent by Jesus and to be then sent by Jesus and to continue to be sent by Jesus for others. She exists, Paul VI writes, in order to evangelize. So the identity of the church is evangelization, and she exists in order to evangelize. John Paul II would develop this in the new evangelization, right at the very beginning of his treatment. He would say, no believer in Christ, sorry, in the very beginning of his um, pontificate in his first encyclical, The Mission of the Redeemer, no believer in Christ, no institution of the church, can avoid its supreme duty, namely to proclaim Christ to all peoples. Benedict XVI, Pope Francis have continued this theme. But I think it's very important that we remember that to be church is to evangelize. This, in a way, is our supreme duty. It's our supreme identity. Uh, so your life, in, in many ways, uh, right, as a Catholic, as a layman, has been dedicated to kind of this, that trying to help carry out the task, and I would really say the gift of evangelization. So could you say a little bit about some of the things you've done and, and how you discovered that? And some of, I know you've worked with uh, different cardinals and bishops right. to carry I, that out. You know, I, I've worked with people from every background, uh, Christian background in particular. But when I made this decision that everything I was gonna live every moment of my life for Jesus, and that uh, I realized that I was uh, his, his servant in the sense that 
I was his allocator. He had given me so much mm-hmm. and that I was going to allocate my time, my treasure, my relationships all for him and to to learn from him how he wanted me to do that. And I, and I did that. One of the things in reading the Vatican II documents, which have been so misinterpreted, uh, what really struck me was the doctrine of um, the laity and particularly the apostolate of like towards like, that the church recognizes that the layman or woman can take the presence of Jesus to a place that the church could never realize. Mm-hmm. And that this is the supreme responsibility of a Catholic layman uh, and laywoman. And to be honest with you, I've seen it more in the evangelical church than I've seen it in the Catholic church. But uh, I have always proclaimed that I am a Roman Catholic, not an American Catholic. Mm -hmm. I'm a Roman Catholic Mm -hmm. and a man under authority. And I believe that uh, it is our supreme duty to, uh, and and I, I pray all the time, Particularly as as I've gotten older and I realize that uh, I can see the end light at the end of the tunnel, I, I I know that every race can only be won by sprinting, and I want to take every single opportunity I can to share Jesus before He calls me home. And I think that that should be proclaimed. It's not being proclaimed, and uh, I think it should be proclaimed. And you know, uh, uh, very rarely do I hear a challenge made to the people. It's it's more pray, pay, and obey, and and as opposed to really challenging us. And this is why marriages are on such a steep decline, et cetera. We don't understand what relationship is, mm-hmm. and we should be talking. If I was a, a pastor, I would or a priest, I would be talking about relationship every single Sunday and as I said saying here's where Jesus is in his ministry here's what he's trying mm-hmm. to convey to us here's what he wants you to convey to others I I, I feel so strongly about this I my, my whole family knows this and I think that as a family we are no question we have dedicated our resources to to evangelism well that's a uh, that's you know inspiring and challenging right um it's it's one thing for the you know the, the church we, we have to be kind of uh, you know docile in a way to recovering these teachings which is that the church is missionary she exists in order to evangelize and I love the way you put it too that the particular apostolate of the laity the evangelization that the laity can do is speaking in a particular way to other laity and not that of course we, we need everybody evangelizing but and it's great in your own story. You mentioned it was a businessman who invited you to dinner or something right. and spoke and shared his testimony. And it's like you're, you know, that was the occasion in which kind of God you know, opened your eyes and opened your ears. And, and, and what a gift that uh, that was there. And I think it's also something that there, there is a kind of a difficulty that I sometimes say the church is a victim of her own success. Uh, when the church is successful and grows, she gets things like parishes, she gets things like dioceses, you get things like buildings. Uh, sometimes in the Middle Ages, these became uh, sources of wealth, uh, which then people might aspire to without a calling to holiness or evangelization, but really just you know, kind of wanting the power. I don't think there's a lot of power involved in the church today, but people love. But people can be so busy managing like properties that we shift the mindset from evangelization to kind of maintaining the buildings, which is right. a lot of work, and maintaining all this stuff. And and that's okay. I don't know. I mean, it, it happens, but somehow we we can't. That's not our identity. Our identity isn't that we own this much property in in a certain place. Our identity, right, is that we're children of God upon whom and in whom, this, upon whom the Spirit has been, uh, you know, descended and in whom the Spirit lives so that we can exist in order to evangelize. Um, you, I, I love even, if I may, uh, you know, share with our listeners and viewers, right, you even, you know, yesterday had a, had a surgery and today on, on your eyes and today you can't even, you can only see out of one eye. And I loved the fact, though, that you're like, I'm going to be here because I only got a little few. I, you know, it's like evangelization always, so to speak, and sharing the good news of the gospel like that comes first. Right. And Absolutely. we have to kind of be motivated uh, to do that. Um, you, you I think one of the groups that you're involved with today is Alpha. Um, yes. Is there 
you know, it, maybe would you say a word about that group or any other group that you're involved with today so that maybe people that, again, are kind of hungering either to be more deeply evangelized or to share in the evangelizing mission of the church, maybe what's something, again, practical that they might, uh, you know, maybe a program that they might connect with or, uh, again, simply in their own lives? Well, I think Alpha is, uh, depending on how it's done, a 10 to 11 week course, mm-hmm. uh, a basic course just about introducing Jesus into your life. And uh, I don't care where you are uh, at what point in your life, just to go back to basics, you forget how much um, you, you know or should know about Jesus. And it, the first, it's built around um, dinner or lunch mm-hmm. or um, some dessert, or whatever, and then uh, a short video and then discussion. And the first week is, who is Jesus? And so you go around in a circle and say, here's my tell you here who I think Jesus is. And it's amazing. Over 30 million people have taken the course around the world now. And I'm chairman of, of Alpha for Catholics. And we had about a third of the people that take it in the United States are Catholic. So I think last year it was something uh, close to 400,000 Catholics took it. And that's a tremendous program. Yes. Uh, uh, Archbishop Vigneron, when he had his uh, uh, when he put out this great document, Becoming Joyful Missionary Disciples, the only thing he mentioned in in that document was taking Alpha. Mm. And, um, and it came out of uh, the Anglican Church, actually, in London, out of Holy Trinity Brompton. I've been on the board for the last 12 or 13 years, and uh, the best board I've ever been on, mm-hmm. the, the really unity in Jesus and uh, respect Father, uh, now Cardinal Ronero Canemelissa is one of the biggest mm-hmm. sponsors of Alpha in the world. Yeah, he was the papal preacher, right? He, the papal preacher, and he's he's wonderful. I've had lunch with him a couple okay. times, and he's just amazing. Uh, the other uh, wonderful program that the Holy Spirit has raised up is through Father John Ricardo and his rescue project. And I know he's been down here at Ave, uh, 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 either in person or in Zoom, uh, talking to young people about it. My wife and I are big supporters of Father John. I've known him for a very long time. We started doing um, major events, reaching out to men in fellowship in Michigan, mm-hmm. where we'd get people to give their testimonies. And it was much like what Promise Keepers was in the 80s and 90s. And I happened to be on that board, so I knew how to do it. Oh, that's great. And actually, we were able to have Father John Ricardo not only at Ave Maria, but on our podcast. Uh, so it was yeah, great. And got to hear about his rescue project, Acts 29, and just yeah, it's just, he's beautiful just a, ministry. It's just, it just has a, a, a tremendous anointing of the Holy yeah. Spirit. Along with Father Mike Schmitz, is the mm-hmm. same way. He has a tremendous anointing. And these, yeah. are, these are men that bring tremendous hope to the church mm-hmm. and to uh, really inspire people, lay people to get involved mm-hmm. and to uh, reach out in the name of Jesus. and you can't, But you can't reach out in the name of Jesus until you know him. And once you start getting to know him through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you can never exhaust it, as it yeah. says in the last chapter of John, you can never exhaust your knowledge mm-hmm. of Jesus. And seeing how he thinks, talks, and acts is just so amazing. I've taught the book of John maybe about seven times, and I'm just doing it again Mm -hmm. to uh, a Catholic brother uh, who wanted to go deeper, and and I do about a half a chapter an hour. And I'm just amazed, I've forgotten how much I forgot and how Mm -hmm. much I'm learning myself and going through it, even though I've been through it so many times. Yeah, that's great. I think it was uh, Fulton Sheen when uh, he was uh, uh, won an Emmy for his, uh, I think it was if it was the Angel's Blackboard, but anyway, it was like his, uh, early TV show on really just catechesis evangelization. Uh, But anyway, he thanked his uh, writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. So so let's uh, just shifting now, let's turn to what about friendship? Uh, We're in the midst of a uh, friendship recession. You know, what are some practical, maybe what are some obstacles you think that we need to recognize in fostering friendships? And what are maybe tips for making new friends, renewing old friends. Uh, I love chapter 21 in your book, Being a Friend. You talked about the need to be authentic and consistent, 
to be available and approachable. I think this is you know very helpful. But maybe just you know, could you say a little bit more for if you meet uh, people today again, somebody's listening who might want to say, "Sure, I, I I want more friends." How do I go about doing that? Well, I, I think first of all, um, uh, prayer is the number one thing I do before I do anything, mm-hmm. and that's. Uh, Asking God for friends around. I've done that. I've I've asked God to bring uh, friends around me to help support the work that I felt called to do, and yeah. He has done it and mm-hmm. done it in different ways than I expected. But nevertheless, He knew what my need was, and He met that need. So I think it be, first of all, it begins with prayer. Number two, I think it begins with openness. And we live in sort of a. a the word cautious, I, I, we're mm-hmm. suspicious of, mm-hmm. of people. And I find, I, I, I love when I check out at Publix, uh, when one of the uh, Haitian ladies say, you have a blessed day. And I've gotten into that habit wherever I, I when I'm going to get something from mm-hmm. CVS or Publix or something, I try to say that to the cashier, just, and to smile. And, um, you know, uh, it, it, friendship is contagious. It's, it's caught, not taught. And um, you start acting friendly, and all of a sudden, people will open up to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've had so many experiences where, where people have opened up to me and told me the most intimate details of their life because they're lonely and they... They, they, everybody has the, the DNA of, of, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in their, mm-hmm. impregnated in their heart. And, they're, and just to, to find someone that can ignite that in their person. And, and you can do that by, uh, as I say in my book, I don't think um, anybody I know would think me as unfriendly. I, I try to be courteous and mm-hmm. open to anybody that I meet and talk to. And I think that's, that's one of the things is, is being open and friendly. And I, mm-hmm. I say, I have never had anybody say to me, Mike, don't pray for me. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of non-believers, a lot of my Jewish friends in Detroit, I, when they would have a problem, I would say, oh, I'm going to pray for you. And nobody has ever said to me, Mike, please don't pray. Uh, mm-hmm. And just this, this it, it's a demeanor. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, it, it is, uh, it, it is, I love, I love the book or the series The Chosen because it's putting so much uh, picture into scripture. And, and the man who ha- happens to be a Catholic playing Jesus is just, I think, it's it's through the power of the Holy Spirit this has happened because I don't like smarmy religious movies and this is the most realistic uh, presentation of the gospel I've ever seen and I've recommended it to uh, scores of people and every single person says this is Mike this is just fantastic mm-hmm. it's helped me tremendously yeah. seeing the, the Jesus was humorous yeah. Jesus was tired mm-hmm. Jesus didn't feel good. Jesus yeah. did use hyperbole. He did mm-hmm. use, he was like us in everything but sin. Yeah. And for people to begin to realize that, yeah, I understand. I mean, I worship his divinity every day, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but I relate to his humanity mm-hmm. every day as well. Yeah. Right. And the church always uh, really insists on always holding those two together. Uh, that's, that's so helpful. And you know, even just in my own life, one thing I found uh, that I found two two moments in a way when friendships happen, and they happen in lots of different ways. But um, one is where you kind of and C.S. Lewis will describe this sometimes as you know, lovers look face to face and friends stand side by side looking at something. And in a way, we have to discover interests in ourselves. Because we, when we have interests, then we can have shared interests, and then we can enjoy having another person who shares those interests. It's kind of, it's again, it's like you talk about friendship being caught. It's almost like friendship becomes sometimes a byproduct of being interested in the world or interested in something and then discovering other people who are interested in it. Uh, and so that's one thing I found is, you know, sometimes you have to like throw yourself into developing new interests. Yeah, what you're uh, talking about is being generous with yourself. Yeah, yeah, right, really before reality. And then in sharing that with others and 
inviting others. And when you do that, then you're not also the, you're not necessarily like the teacher who's the, who's the higher friend teaching the lower friend. You're just another friend looking at something that's more interesting than both of us almost. So it has that kind of generosity. The other thing I've also found in my own life, especially as I've gotten older, uh, is the willingness to kind of, the more open we, the more open I am with my own struggles and, and the way I work through them or the difficulties of life allows kind of, like if you feel like your friendships are on the surface, maybe I'm part of the reason that they're on the surface. And that when I'm willing to be more genuine and open and vulnerable in a friendship, I found, you know, nine times out of 10, the other person, right, reciprocates. No question. And then all of a sudden, by the end of that conversation, I feel that that wasn't a shallow connection, but that that was kind of an, a more authentic, genuine connection. So the kind of irony that in some ways it's our vulnerabilities, it's our pains, it's our hurts, and the way we faced them, right, with hopefully with a little bit of hope, uh, that actually can kind of connect us. So that instead of pain and suffering isolating us, which I think is what it does at first, it then becomes the very occasion for deepening friendships. I think that that when you have the reputation of not being critical or uh, mm. accepting, and um, you know, I I have had men confess just about every sin known to man, mm-hmm. uh, and I you know, obviously I'm not thrilled that they're sinning, but I am thrilled that they're facing up to their sin and asking for help in doing it. And oftentimes, they're not going to do it to anybody but a friend. And even if you go to confession, if it's if it's you know impersonal, it's not going to be as deep as it is with a friend asking for help. Yeah. I, I I I had a man come ask me if he would be a prayer partner with me, a, a, a leader. I'm not going to go in because he would be a, a name. Uh, and he said, but first of all, I want to tell you all my major sins. And he said, but that way we can really be friends together, and you can hold me accountable. And uh, it was a tremendous honor to me. And he told me, and, and quite frankly, I was surprised at some of the things he did. Um, but that was about five years ago, and we have the deepest friendship. Uh, and he trusts me. Uh, you know, what, what, this is not a subject that even I discussed with Nancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I trust her totally, it's not, it wouldn't be appropriate. Yeah, and and to have the trust in in somebody that will hear me mm-hmm. and not reject me for for what I am, yeah. that is that is the only way uh, many people can grow into a mm-hmm. deep love of knowledge wow. of Jesus. Because when you see love, you it is contagious, and when you understand that God is love, He's the ultimate love, uh, then everything falls into place. Well, uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing and summarizing uh, so many of those tips and experiences and so much of what you've uh, really learned and discovered uh, once kind of you surrendered yourself uh, to Jesus's friend. Um, Maybe uh, just three quick questions I like to ask our guests on the show. Uh, So first, what's a book you've been reading? What's a book? Well, uh, I've just finished Father Gerald Murray's uh, latest book and i can't remember the title of it and i'm reading all the time but uh-huh. i i'd be honest with you i read uh, uh in conversations with with god mm-hmm. uh i do a lot of meditations mm-hmm. I, I spend a lot of time in the gospels mm-hmm. i teach on monday mornings i'm mm-hmm. in a couples group uh with my wife and i'm discipling a number of people yeah. uh, on zoom so uh, when i read i binge read you know, like I'm still wading through Father Ken, Cardinal Ken Melissa's many uh, mm-hmm. books on the Holy Spirit, etc. Yeah. But I'll be honest with you, uh, first of all, what I do is go to Scripture, and I love in conversation with God. Cardinal Matta gave it to me about 18 years ago, mm-hmm. and yeah. And, and for and, readers who may not be familiar, that's a seven-volume set of kind of daily meditations by uh, Father Francis Fernandez, who's a priest of the Prelature of Opus Dei. Yeah, he, so just, really just tremendous. Powerful. 
uh, theme. I often give uh, the for Lent and Easter, you know, that little series is beautiful because yeah. you get not only the 40 days of Lent, that's awesome, but you better pray during the 50 days of Easter. That's even more exciting. <laughs> right. So, uh, and, and Magnificat yeah. is another favorite oh, yeah. of mine every day. Mm -hmm. I, I go to Mass every day, so that's I love great. having the Magnificat with yeah. me. And I think you've already gone ahead and answered the second question, which is what's one thing you do every day to draw closer to well, that, our Lord? And, and that and the rosary, sounds like, the Eucharist yeah. and the rosary are <laughs> yep, my, yep. Uh, and reading scripture every day. These are beautiful. This is a beautiful, like, um, that's a stable tripod, so to speak, on which a friendship can be based. And maybe just a last question. What's a view of God that you held at one time uh, that you discovered to be false? And what was the truth you discovered? I, I, I don't have a, a view of, of God that was ever false. I, I, I didn't feel... Uh, I, I really believed. I, mm -hmm. I worshipped God, and I was devout. But it didn't carry over into my day-to-day -day, uh, thinking of... Um, mm. Today, yes. I, I, I feel the presence of God all the time. Yeah. And it wasn't until I surrendered myself completely mm -hmm. to Him that I began to feel that way. But I think that I, I, it's only through His grace. I never doubted... Mm -hmm the existence of God, and I believed that Jesus was his son and our savior. And so when the when I surrendered, I got so excited because I've been a doer all my life, and so I've accomplished a lot of things, and, and uh, both as a lawyer and then as a businessman, and um, I knew how to organize, I knew how to do things and get people involved and what have you. So I was, um, I took off sort of like a, a, a rocket. I, I, people were very surprised yeah. that I had such an abrupt change. Well, what, 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 what a gift to be able to discover in a way, right? Uh, not only uh, the truth of who God is, but what that makes a difference for really the truth of who you are and who God has called you to be his friend and to invite you to share that friendship with Jesus Christ with so many others. Uh, again, my guest on the show today has been uh, Michael Timmis. Uh, we've been discussing his book, The Journey to Ultimate Friendship. It's published by Word Among Us Press. So for listeners who uh, would enjoy this, uh, I would definitely encourage you to consider getting a copy. I think you will find it uh, very inspiring to deepen your own friendship uh, with Jesus Christ, uh, as well as to help share that friendship with others, and finally, to really take a look at our own friendships and realize that those are genuine gifts and ones that we can uh, really uh, develop with a little bit more intentionality. So well, thank, thank you, you so much thank for being you, on Thank you, Michael. It's a joy to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on the Catholic Theology Show.